Here's your opportunity to listen and learn from the most successful people driving growth and success in Palm Beach County and beyond. Welcome to the Business in Paradise Palm Beach podcast with Carrie Stamp, founder of Carrie Stamp and Company, Principled Wealth Advisors. Carrie and his guests share stories and insights from Palm Beach County's most successful executives, entrepreneurs, and community leaders. Learn how they made it to where they are today, what principles guide them, how they mentor others to achieve success, and more. Hi, my name is Carrie Stamp. Welcome to the Business in Paradise podcast. My guest today is kind of a fixture in the business community here in Palm Beach County. My guest is Dave Markarian, who is a founding and managing partner of the Markarian Group, a law firm in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. Dave Markarian, welcome to the Business in Paradise podcast. What a pleasure to be here. Dave, it's really good to have you on the podcast. I know you've kind of made a round trip over time of living in Palm Beach County, leaving for a little while, coming back to Palm Beach County. And it's really, I'm sure, been an amazing, amazing career experience. But one of the things that I like to say is we get to live in paradise. I truly love living here. We chose to live here and I can't imagine a place elsewhere that I would love or enjoy living as much as living down here. Tell us a little bit about your story, how you got to Florida, which I think started at a pretty early age, Right. when you left Florida and how you came back. So I really never imagined ever living outside of the state of Florida. I'm from Miami. I was born, actually born on Miami beach, but grew up in Miami. I've always loved Dade County and the culture and the change it went through is something that I just find amazing. So I love it, but traffic is terrible. And we ended up in Palm Beach County. That was the first move north. And then we were moved to Washington, DC. And what's even more interesting to be honest is as we were, we were you know, done with our mission in DC and we were both young, I was 50 something, 54. And Soli is always 10 years you know, younger than I am. And we were thinking about, well, where do we go? The kids were about to start high school and figure out where we would be happy and where it would make sense for us to spend our lives, if not right there in Washington, because we had a great old house there, but didn't know many people. Mom and dad are still alive. They're 60 something miles south of here. And I really loved the first time we lived here, which was about a five-year stint in times that weren't really the best for the economy. But I don't think that really hit me because I worked for Nextera. So you're working for Nextera and you, at the time you were, you're a lawyer by trade. So tell us a little bit about your background as a lawyer. You go to law school somewhere here in Florida, right? I went to law school at the University of Miami. Okay. And it was at a great time because there were amazing white collar and criminal cases going on. So you could go to school, arrange your schedule so that you'd work at night or be a night student, or you could go early in the morning and late in the afternoon or some combination. And you could go downtown and work all day long. There was a 25 hour, I think a week restriction, which most people I knew blew through pretty, pretty well, but the ethics statute of limitations has expired. We love to work. We learned more downtown and it was an amazing place to go to school, mainly for that, uh, mainly for that reason. And I fell under the spell of some trial lawyers. And I, I think I, knew from an early age, I wanted to be an on my feet courtroom lawyer, but I worked for those kinds of people during law school and learned my decision, or at least my yearning was, was admirable. And to be honest, probably for the first 40, 50, 60% of my legal career, 
All I wanted to do, and it motivated everything I did, was to get at-bats. All I wanted to do was to get into the courtroom, try a case, try a different type of case that I'd never tried before. And that led me to the next era phase where I was doing that for about five years before that, but with them all over the country. So I was just trying cases in small towns, big towns all over the country, which is its own fascinating thing. It was all about getting in, getting experience and learning how to do things better. That is in terms of educating juries and jurors and how to convince people of certain things. So it was a fascinating uh, journey of, I just want to get better. I just want to get better. And now even at this stage, because the end of the story is I formed a law firm after taking a couple of years off and goofing off is that I'm still in a mode where it's, you learn, you need to learn every day. You need to keep your, your skills sharp. You absolutely have to keep making yourself better and studying and, and all that to Let, be good. Let's go back a little bit in your story. So you get out of law school, your first job out of law school is where? I outkicked my coverage. I went to work for a firm called Haddad Joseph Jack Gaby. Ultimately my last name was the last name and Mark Harian. Uh, Coral Gables, Florida, highly regarded litigation firm. They would call that today a boutique litigation firm. And I couldn't believe I landed that job and my friends couldn't either. And I was there until mid-partner and the firm had some partners leave and I formed my own firm around 96 or 97. Okay. And, and what year or what point did you end up going to work for Florida Power or FPL? I'd say it was uh, about a decade later. Okay. And again, the big draw was I had met my wife and I traveled all the time for a living and they said I wouldn't travel, which turned out not to be true. <laughs> and they said that I knew that I was going to try cases of all kinds all over the country. And that was my draw. And they promised that they would do all the right kinds of things to support excellence. So in other words, if we needed to really work and work and work a file, they gave me that assurance that things would be handled the right way. And they did. They kept that commitment. And so I got a lot of at-bats all over the country. I was gone. So it was great if you were a single guy. It was terrible if you loved your wife and you were married. And so that was another kind of period of my life where I ran all over the place. So ultimately they said, hey, Dave, we've got another role for you and it's in Washington, D.C. How did that come about and what was that work? So the stepping stone was, now this is about, oh, it's probably, it's after the implosion of 08. So it's probably nine or 10. And Wind, remember now Obama's president, and so Wind has a pre preeminent place in the national conversation, and they actually have an incentive, a tax incentive, the Wind Production Tax Credit, that incentivized that those investments. So what you saw in that time frame was a real opportunity to come in a community or a rural state and spend billions, uh, boom, overnight within a two-year period. So it became the every single governor, including red state governors. Blue state governors, everybody wanted that capital investment. Rick Perry chased that harder than anybody. Conservatives in Oklahoma, you name the state. The wind really blows through the center of the country. I know you're from Iowa, right? Yep. Or, and have roots in Iowa. And there's windmills there's, in Iowa. There's a lot of wind in yeah. Iowa. So we started to realize that the job wasn't who has the bayonet in the courtroom or who's the most aggressive in, in sales, but it was important to get political backing for these projects. And that led us to form a division that I led, actually it was formed before I led it. And I took over for somebody that had left and that was states. So that was influencing the, so there's an organization that's actually fabulous called the Republican Governors Association. There's an identical one, the Democratic Governors Association. So we got involved there and, and had a, a program that basically 
worked reaching out to governors. So that became a political role. And then when the gentleman who had run, you know, the Washington office of Next Era, FPL, the, the so-called lobby shop, was about to retire, I was sent up there to learn from him, which was another fascinating right turn for my career. And that's what I did until the time I retired. So you spend a lot of time talking to politicians. I do. I have. Um, yes. I listening to them is probably a better way to say it. They do most of the talking. But yeah. Now, are the uh, you? We can circle back to this if you knew, uh, want a couple minutes to think about it. But are there some interesting stories that uh, just pop into your head about times when you dealt with some of the folks in Washington? So I can tell you, John Boehner. This is uh, sometime just after April fifteenth in twenty twenty one, and John Boehner released a book, and I was through just luck and a friendship. I was able, Congress would come in on Mondays, Monday afternoons, they have a vote at 6 p.m. And Boehner would always take some of his buddies and they'd have a private dinner. And I was invited, not every Monday, but one or one or two a month. And I got to know that guy. It just didn't matter. The, the real leaders in Congress, they care about this country very, very deeply. And it was true that he would smoke in these places that were illegal to smoke in and they, the speaker was allowed to do what the speaker did. But he turned out to be a great guy. He's got that ethic for his eyes water when he's being emotional. That's all true. It's real. And he's a real guy that came up the hard way, swept out the family bar. And you look at his net worth, he's really done it. On the flip side, I was, I could not believe Al Franken and how smart he was about things political. And how much he loves this country, similar to what I saw in Boehner. And I can tell you that he, he really was honored. I believe he had Hubert Humphrey's seat, and I believe he had Walter Mondale's seat, who just died a couple of nights ago, and he was amazingly emotional about his place in history. I got to know Mitch McConnell and his wife, Elaine Chow, very well. And we would often, Soli and I would be seated at either of them. And after about two years of me sitting next to Mitch McConnell and him saying nothing to me for the entire meal, I told Soli we were going to switch. And that be became the beginning of an amazing friendship with Elaine Chow, who has, you know, historically been in the cabinet in different positions and worked for different administrations. And she's a tremendous force of nature. So there, I do have a lot of fond, a lot of fond people. Our, our congressman just south of here, Ted Deutsch, is a person who is really worth getting to know. He's not universally loved, but I, I do universally respect him. So you mentioned Soli a few times, and uh, obviously this is your wife. Tell us a little bit about Soli. So I met her uh, very luckily 20 years ago. I saw her in a, in a restaurant in Coral Gables, and I was thunderstruck. And I had to get her number, and I did. And we've, it took us six weeks to have a date, but then we've been pretty much insepar inseparable. We got together just before 9-11. So by four, five months, four, four months into the relationship, I knew she was special. I knew I was going to ask her to marry me. And I would do that around Valentine's Day, except 9-11 happened. And I, we both traveled for a living and I said, we could be dead. So I'm gonna ask her to marry me anyway. And we got married at the Miami, Florida State game in uh, October of that year, just, just after 9-11. And we were supposed to get married at the courthouse in Valdosta, I'm sorry, in uh, Thomasville, Georgia, but the judge had gone to the jail to do bail hearing. So I literally got married to my wife in jail in Thomasville, Georgia, because the judge who had agreed to marry me, I had done some surreptitious stuff to get it done, said, hey, I already left for the jail, but if you want me to marry you, I will. I thought you said you were at the Miami, Florida State game. 
Right. We were. And the game that year was in Tallahassee. Uh, Thomasville is about 35 miles, perhaps north. And so you can get a handgun much quicker than you can marry in Florida. There's either a three or seven day waiting period at the time. I think today it's seven. And so I had to go across state lines. So, so in Georgia, you can get married. Uh, same day. Same day. Same day. Holy cow. So okay. anyway, we, it, it was great. Very romantic. We were wearing black. We got married in jail. It's been great. You also said earlier, and I caught this, and I just wanted to make sure that I didn't hear it wrong. You said you were born on Miami Beach. Joe Brodsky, who was a famous coach at Florida, would say, free is for me. And he's famous for saying that. My dad was a resident at Mount Sinai Hospital, and it would have been free if he drove me across the bridge and I was born there, as opposed to wherever they were on mainland Miami. So I was actually born on the island of Miami Beach. You're born on the island of Miami Beach, not literally on the beach. Nope. That's what I was picturing when you said that. Silly for me. I was reborn on the beach. Yeah, okay. But I was born in a hospital somewhere. All right. Yeah. And you mentioned that you came back and your kids were in high school when you came back here to Palm Beach County after the stint in DC. Are your kids still around? Yeah, a young lady entering her senior year and a young man that'll enter his sophomore year coming up here. That's fantastic. So you've been back for how many years? Back five, and, in, five and a half years. Five and a half years. I have five children. Okay. I have two more that are going through the system. One's at Dreyfus and loving it. Unfortunately, with COVID, it's been a disruption, but they'll get through it. Yeah, absolutely. That's And that's a great school. By the way, I just had lunch yesterday with their new foundation director, Chris Snyder, who's a great guy. We were talking about Dreyfus and all the programs that uh, they've got going on just yesterday. So Dave, tell us a little bit about the firm that you started when you came back down here to Florida, what it was like to really restart up your own business and the people that you've surrounded yourself and what, it's, what the progression has looked like. So it's funny, I didn't know that your podcast was named Business in Paradise and I really decided to come back here of all the different places. Now you've played golf with me and that I'm pretty much terrible, but I love it. And I always did love playing here with my friends. And so I really wanted to come back here because my vision was I could work and have some fun and be on the golf course and it's gorgeous. But I, I if you live east of the bridges, it is a different existence. It is absolutely some of the most gorgeous real estate in the, in the country, in the world, certainly in Palm Beach County. And it is amazing to me that we can travel five or eight miles from our office and be in the most gorgeous place where people save money year round to come here and still make a living. And that has caused me to be passionate about uh, making sure we have an environment that's friendly to businesses and that we're keeping that first and, and foremost in mind. It's very interesting if you, I like to say this figuratively, if you sit on any bar stool on PGA Boulevard, you will meet someone truly interesting and truly successful that'll teach you something. And that is indicative of the kinds of people that have moved here and the kinds of people that, this is really interesting if you talk to a lot of people and do a sampling, most of them decide that this is a place they're tied to years and years and years before they retire. And they select a, a home that they know they're gonna retire to, or they have the, the mom and dad connection to the area. And eventually they realize that it's the lifestyle they crave, but there's still people that are active, that have money, that they're moving around and, and businesses that they're doing. I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I knew that I wanted to begin a law firm with a built-in uh, audience that could afford to pay for my services. And I knew that that primary place was business. 
And so I cater to businesses, businessmen, businesswomen, and I try to make it so that they're flawlessly moving from startup phase to the active phase to the troubled phase, which is really what I specialize personally in, which is helping a, a company that's in real trouble and then getting them out of trouble. And so we wanted to cater to the entire life cycle of business. And that actually is 100% due to the fact that I look up to and I'm fascinated by business people and the way they think because they think differently than the way I think, what, the way I was trained to think in law school. So it's a, it's a daily ongoing collaboration with people that I admire and that are smarter than me in certain ways. And I love it. So I've made a, a couple of very distinctive moves that set us apart. The first is I hire very, very young people who are of the smartest caliber, law review, et cetera. It, it's a very entrepreneurial situation. So they join knowing that this is this is a real opportunity for them. We, we don't work too, too hard. We work just right, meaning a little bit harder than maybe we'd want to, but it's, it's not a ridiculous, oppressive environment seven days a week. And we try to be creative in how we charge rather than the old model of charging by the hour. And the, I don't know quite why, but the community has been very warm and accepting of us. We've been very successful. We have interesting cases and we truly feel like we're helping people. And in some cases we help people a lot. We're so absorbed in a case where we fall in love with somebody that's a client, but they run out of money and we stick it out anyway. So we do a lot of fun stuff like that. I couldn't be any prouder of all the things I've done. And I've done some really cool things. I've got to say that being involved with this group of young people is it's the most rewarding and the most frustrating thing I've ever done simultaneously because I, I signed up to basically be a teacher in certain ways and take these young folks and get them to where they're going. So do you have a, a foosball table and a nap room in the office, Dave? We don't. The only thing we do is to be honest, is we do a lot of things with one another outside the office. So it, it's not, you know, out of the ordinary for us to say, let's go grab a drink. We volunteer and we actually man a polling station. We adopted, they call it a precinct. So we had to go get trained four times last year and then the three days of the elections. And that turns out to be an amazing thing for, for our team. And we, we take advantage of what the area has to offer. You talk about paradise. I look forward every year to doing the uh, the night game we go to at, at Roger Dean Chevrolet Stadium. I don't know that there's a better place to have a beer than at the Square Grouper. I mean, it's just gorgeous. And so we try to get out and do fun things in the area. You mentioned going up and down PGA Boulevard and sitting on a bar stool and striking up a conversation with somebody that was interesting and probably pretty accomplished. For me, it was a similar story, but it was the cigar store. I used to have my office above Carmine's Market on PGA Boulevard. And every day at lunch, I would go down. This was back before Sharon made me uh, quit my uh, cigars, which was in 2013. I would go down and I would have a cigar uh, lunchtime. And the people that I met in there were absolutely amazing, intelligent, incredible people. And I would not be where I am today had I not met some of them. And most of them are fairly modest. And there was one gentleman that was just so kind and gracious to me that eventually invited me to play at his golf club. He became the membership chair at that club, invited me to join the club. 
And it's really, really been special, something that has helped me out a lot from a social perspective, but also from a business perspective, because I got to meet some people that I never would have expected that I was going to be able to meet just by sitting in the cigar store. Not only that, but celebrities even that would come into the cigar store and sit down and have their cigars. People that if I was still living in Iowa, or even if I was in Chicago, you just wouldn't meet because there's so many people that are really want to have this amazing lifestyle down here. I know you're really involved in local government things as well as the Chamber of Commerce here in Palm Beach County. So tell us a little bit about how you got involved in the Chamber and about the committee that right now you chair for the Chamber and what's next for you. So the Palm Beach, we call it the Palm Beach North Chamber of Commerce now, was my first home when I came back here, which was in the summer of 2015. And a couple of friends, I had some good shepherds, they guided me and they said, this is a good organization for you to get, you know, to at least get your feet wet and figure things out. It was very well run. It seemed like a great group of people. I'll never forget that the very first time I went to, and it was a breakfast, I didn't know a soul. And I stood at the corner of, of the room and you know, held my coffee until we were seated. And it was, felt really weird. And maybe a year, two years later, they gave me responsibility, let me do some things, let me lead a committee. And it, it, I really felt like it was my home. And it's funny, there are several people there that strike me the way that gentleman did in the cigar store. And I'm not just saying this because I'm getting a little bit older, but you know, there's whole strategies about listening to these super accomplished people. They don't mind sharing. They want to share what they've learned and you can pick up a wealth of information. And the area is filled with really accomplished older folks that are no longer working. So. I, I love the chamber because I have that outlet as well. I have older fellows that have been around the community and, and it's been great. The government affairs committee is one of the coolest things I've ever been around because it, it, it is an open committee of the chamber, meaning anyone can attend. You don't have to be selected or appointed and we encourage everybody to attend, but the mainstream people are probably in four groups. There's the elected officials from, there's 10 towns that take take up the footprint where the Palm Beach North Chamber exists. And so those 10 towns, their mayors, their town council will be present and they will share openly best practices, lessons learned, difficulties in front of the rest of us. The second component are the education people, the people that help the state colleges and the state of Florida colleges in the area and policy. The third are regular business people like you and I Carrie, that just care about knowing what's going on. And what's even more interesting is we have a real young group, our youngest sector of the chamber, the very, very young guys and ladies that are a part of it are turning out in droves just because I think they know it's a great place to pick up information and to get connected. And so there's always this guest speaker. We do our damnedest to make sure the guest speaker is compelling and somebody you really want to hear from. And the membership and the attendance has gone up and up and up and up. And it's just really cool because unlike what we see in DC or what I did in DC, these people have to compromise. They have to come to a decision. They have to make budgets align. They don't have the, they don't have the luxury of, of choosing not to cooperate or compromise or get to a bottom line. They have to balance budgets. And so they do. And they're, 
and I, I can't say each and every one of them, but you would be shocked at how many of them are doing this in retirement after illustrious careers as PhDs in various segments of the community or all different, all different professions. And that's what you tend to see are these towns being led by people who have had a life's worth of experiences that was not related to politics. So this is a monthly meeting for the Government Affairs Committee, right? That's right. Uh, and I think it's usually on a Friday morning, pretty early in the morning. It is, 8 a.m. Yeah. It's okay. the, I think it's the second Friday of the month, and it's a great thing. And I was, like a lot of people, we were home. We saw what happened with George Floyd. I was able to take in, because my teenagers were in the house, their, their reflection, their reaction, their outrage. And so I've been trying to do some things that at least I think I can do that can help make a difference in myriad ways. And there's a lot of people around us that are trying to do things, bankers that are trying to make a difference, et cetera. Obviously policing is a whole different issue that I'm not expert in, but I wanted to do things that I thought would allow me to be a part of the solution towards making things. Look, the most conservative thing in life is if you make a mess, you got to clean up after yourself and slavery was a mess. And so I feel like there are things that we can do that if we're concentrating on it can make a difference. So what I've also tried to do is to join organizations that are at the forefront of some of those solutions. In other words, rather than try and reinvent a wheel or have some foundation named after some relative of mine, I'm just getting involved in those organizations that are already focused on solutions. Are there some that you wanna share with us? So two in particular, I'm excited about. So Career Source is an organization I'll bet most people have heard of. I hadn't, except I knew Michael that Corbett that comes to the meetings that we just referred to was from CareerSource. I had no idea what their mission was, but in reality, it is a bipartisan funded organization that exists in almost every city to make sure that the unemployed are being put to work or retrained. And it's a tremendous resource. So I have been lucky enough to be appointed to that board. I've flipped almost 100% to trying to hire my people through there so that I'm both a customer and uh, and somebody that's gonna oversee activities. Like Brubaker, I don't know if you remember the Robert Redford movie where he went in as a reform warden, but he was an inmate. That's a terrible example. <laughs> uh, okay, so it vaguely comes back to me. I do remember some Robert Redford movies where he was in a prison, but I don't specifically remember Brubaker. Yeah, a second thing that's been demonstrated for wealth accumulation is home ownership. And so there's a, a real low percentage of that. So Habitat for Humanity is a second board or an organization I'm focused on. There are, there are alarming and fascinating alignments between education and, and incarceration. And that, again, is beyond my expertise. However, education is a huge component of, of the solution for our society. And I'm doing what I can in that regard through the Chamber of Commerce and some other things to uh, see what solutions there are that I can be a part of, given that I'm not an expert in education. Sure. No, Dave, that's uh, wonderful. And those are both fantastic organizations that are the organizations that you're mentioning are all uh, really helpful in the community. If one of your kids came to you and said, hey, dad, I'm thinking about becoming a lawyer and I'm thinking about going to law school, what would your fatherly advice be? to that child about making their way through law school and eventually deciding on what type of practice or if they wanted to stay in the practice of law? So my standard advice is that if someone is passionate about being a lawyer, then they should pursue law school. But if it 
if they're not motivated by some burning desire to do this, then they should not do it just because they've got nowhere else to go and they can't think of a better degree to pursue or the job market isn't right. And if that were um, behind us and the conversation then turned to how am I going to be successful, law school is much, is, it's made much more difficult than it needs to be. And we, we use way too much time to read and not enough time to think. And so I would try to simplify law school to my child or for the child of a friend of mine to make it so that they can read everything they need to read and understand everything, but to do it in a way that allows them more free time to reflect because they just bombard you with work. Yeah. And then what you specialize in again, if, if you're going to ask me to create the formula, I'll tell you right now in our, in our league, it's going to be specialization. It's going to be anything that tips the hat towards technology. So intellectual property is, is a great place to be anything that the internet cannot take away is a great place to be, but specialization is the way to go. We got to be careful in our profession because if we, we reward the wrong kinds of legal challenges and assaults financially, you're not actually going to be solving problems. You're actually going to be creating things that we, we look at and shake our heads. And the young people that you're hiring at your firm, where are you finding them? I, I would imagine you're not finding your lawyers or career source. I'm not. And that's, I'm really glad you came back to that because I wanted to tell you something about business in paradise. I know you've been here for some time, but until very recently, dads, moms couldn't send their kids away to college with any assurance that the kids would even consider coming back here to settle and make a living. So if you're, if you love your children and you want to see grandparent grandkids come along, it was a tough putt to get those kids to come back here. There was nothing going on. There were no real jobs. So the very first lawyer I hired and my new partner is Dave Glickman, and he grew up right across the bridge in Juneau Beach, and he's born and bred here, went to Benjamin, and these amazing kids are now returning to our community and looking for opportunities here. So he's lawyer number one. He's a terrific person, and you'd be proud to have him as a son or for your daughter to bring him home to introduce him to you. And then I go for the best and brightest. The next lawyer down chronologically is Juanita Solis. She's got an amazing story. Came here from Columbia at age nine, a brilliant young lady who has just scorched the earth. And I've never seen a lawyer do more in the first 15, 16 months in terms of learning as she has. She's amazing. Gilbert is a Northwestern law grad who joined us. I actually had asked her to come join us and she said no. So I got her the second time and Jessica Glickman. So there's uh, six lawyers at the firm. They're all law review type caliber people and they're a joy to be around. And there's just an educational component to what I have to do. Yeah, I was thinking Jessica Glickman might have an objection if somebody introduced her daughter to David though, right? She probably would. Yeah. She okay. probably would. And they're the two of the nicest people in the world. I, I don't, I've seen the husband and wife model work before and it doesn't scare me. And they're the two people that'll make it work. And she's an absolute delight to have on board. Well, I'm in the same position because I've got a 21-year-old daughter who's living in Colorado. And we're desperately hoping that she decides she, she wants to continue her career down here in South Florida. And she, she will go into the life sciences field. So there's plenty of opportunities for her here. There's plenty in uh, the East Coast, but she certainly is enjoying living in Colorado. So the, Dave, it's amazing that you're in the mode or in the position of mentoring young attorneys. I do the same thing for young financial advisors, and I like to find them before they've developed their bad habits. 
I guess is the best way to put it. I, I couldn't agree with that more. Yeah. So they can learn the business the right way, at least the, what I believe is the right way, kind of the right model, and that they always know that it's always, they need to always ask themselves the question, what is the right thing to do for our client in this particular situation? Not what is the right thing to do for me. What is always the right thing to do for our client in this particular situation? And it's this, the ethics. It's yeah. the it's the ethics that a young lady or or man places his foundation upon, his professional foundation. And it's funny, you'll probably identify with this. I, to this day, at least once a day or five or six times a week, I hear one of my mentors telling me something. I can literally hear it in my head where they, where they uh, were giving you great advice. Like your advice to your folks is just always do what's right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I had, and I also had another mentor. One of my other mentors uh, said to me when I was a very young stockbroker in downtown Chicago, he said, Carrie, spend all of your time managing the client's money and don't spend any of your time managing your own. Let somebody else do that for you. You keep your eye on the ball of what's going on with your clients and everything that you need will be taken care of. But don't don't focus on your portfolio at the expense of the rest of the clients. And I, I truly took that to heart, which is why I try to put as much of my money as I possibly can into index funds that I just let sit there and grow for the long time and then go off and try to do as well as I can for my clients using a lot of the same types of investments as well. Dave, tell us a little bit in, in your business life. Okay, you've got uh, a great business, you've got children, you've got uh, a wife. How do you create balance in your life? What do you do? And I had one guest say, what is balance? But how do you create balance in your life so that you feel like you're serving both your constituencies, your clients and your family? So, I have a solution and it involves uh, a lot of the things. And by the way, I met you through your activities in the community and you are involved and generous and I appreciate the way you conduct yourself. And that is my relief. If all I did was practice law and I didn't have some of these outlets to, to do things that are for the community and not for revenue, I don't, I don't think I could do what I do at the pace I do, but I, I really am getting a failing grade in the balance department. And I just think part of that's how I'm wired. I'm the son of an immigrant and hard work is what I saw my dad do. And that's what I do. And this sounds terrible, but my favorite day of the week is a Saturday when I can go into the office and there's no one else there. And, and I'm there alone for 12 hours. My second favorite day is to be alone on a golf course or with you. But the point is I really like to work. I enjoy it. So I'm failing, but I think that real happiness in this area, paradise, is you got to get out and enjoy it. And if you're not exercising and you're not getting out, seeing what there is to see, being a part of life here, you're missing out because it's great. It, 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 you, can, you can have as much fun at night, have as rewarding a practice during the day, and make some of the best friends you could ever imagine making in this area. It's really yeah. remarkable. Yeah. Dave, I want to turn back. I kind of skipped over a question that I wanted to ask you about mentoring. And that 
relates to you talk about mentoring the people that you're working with and I, I do the same and I talk about some of the great mentors that I've had. You mentioned that you've had some mentors that have given you some good advice. Is there any particular advice from a particular mentor that really stands out to you that you say, Jesus uh, changed the course of my life or my career? Yeah, a lot of a lot of that advice was technical. I had a guy, I, I went in about two weeks after I began practicing and I said, Mr. Haddad, in fact, I just talked to him a couple of weeks ago. How many hours should I be billing a day? And he looks at me and he says, son, at this firm, we just want you to win everything you touch. And he starts to laugh. We have no billing you know, requirement, he says. And it, stru it stuck struck with me that excellence is what we should all strive for and not how many hours. And that's something I can tell you really resonates with the young folks at the office, that they feel like they're not looked at as a, a number, but rather, what did they get done today? Did mm -hmm. they help somebody? Did they nail somebody? And and that's how we do it. And, and I thought that was great. Is there a book or a podcast that you would recommend to these young people that they either read or listen to? So I think everything begins and ends with personal organization and discipline. So you may have been more fortunate than I, but my generation, our dads were workaholics and they didn't share with us key things like how they organize themselves and how they discipline themselves. Your dad may have been different, but a lot of our dads were, they were doing what dads did at that time, which was basically work their butts off. I feel like my generation really needs to focus on discipline, time management, organization, and I really believe David Allen is the number one place to begin. It's old, 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 but you know, people should read The Millionaire Next Door. And I think that people should read the original Dale Carnegie in the current edition, because Dale Carnegie seems to be more resonant today than, or as resonant as when I read them. So those are three key ones. So the Dale Carnegie book, How to Win Friends and Influence People is fantastic. David Allen, for those of you that are listening that are not familiar with him, his book is called Getting Things Done, or GTD as he refers it to refers to it. And you can go onto YouTube and listen to some amazing David Allen videos where he's talking at the Google corporate headquarters about his getting things done system. But the book is fantastic. It helps make me uh, way more productive and allows you really to clear your mind. Those are great suggestions, Dave. This has been a very, very interesting conversation that we've been able to have today. You've obviously had a long and storied career. You've built a very successful law firm down here in uh, South Florida. You've got a family life you and and they want to spend more time with you as i think that you've acknowledged my my wife actually tells me honey go to the office on uh, sunday you're bothering me but that's a, that's a totally different story wonderful conversation this afternoon last question that i would ask you dave as you look at your chapter of your life and where you are today growing your firm What's next? How are you going to define what you want to do next and where you see things going for Dave Markarian? Well, I really do think that we have now approached the time when we have experienced enough to lend our views and our talents to help make the community around us better. I don't think I can do much statewide or in DC or nationally, but we can, we can help with our own backyard. 
And so you and I are involved in a number of things that are important in the community. I've made a commitment that I am going to become a better golfer because it is important to me. And I actually had some progress yesterday. I also think that we forget that our bodies are machines. And so I'm, there's a, another book that I think is important. It's called Younger Next Year. And so as you approach your later 50s and beyond, there's a whole thing that you should and can do that prepares you for those last 25 or 30 years that I think are important. I really like to work, so I'm going to keep working. I'm enjoying the, the nature of the cases we have. They're fascinating. They're hard. They're complicated to figure out. But I think that what I'm going to do is become successful in paradise, both in the office and outside the office, because I just have been working you know, too much and not enjoying uh, life quite enough. I do expect, and I know this is, I think, mainstream thinking, but I do expect that our economy is going to take off. And I think that 2021 is going to be a year that many of us probably haven't seen. And I think that's going to extend, you know, well into the rest of the decade. How, how far into the decade? I'd be careful. I, I myself would want to be relatively insulated and per, perhaps more liquid by the, towards the end of the decade. But I think we are in a great spot. Florida's hot, but to make up for it, we have the right tax regime. Tax regime, here's what I never knew. I know that you're a very skilled financial guy. I, just as a lawyer, never appreciated the the power of tax policy upon human and corporate behavior. And it really moves the needle. And I think what we're going to see is real activity like we haven't seen in a long time here. In a relatively uh, short amount of time, the, this president has probably another year to get some things pushed through, and I think he will. But I also think there's inertia, there's this pent-up energy for new businesses and investment and getting things done. A lot of people have been on the sidelines. So uh, I'm actually looking forward to having things reopen. We're going to have an exciting run in paradise when the world reopens. And we're already starting to see the evidence of the people moving to Florida, the businesses moving to Florida, and the folks that are choosing to live here in Palm Beach County and in what we call paradise. It's been a fascinating conversation. My guest has been Dave Markarian of the Markarian Group. Dave, I'm very grateful that you chose to come on the podcast today. Thank you very much. I'm Kerry Stamp. I've been your host for the Business in Paradise podcast. I'm the founder of the Kerry Stamp and Company Principled Wealth Advisors Investment Management Firm in Tequesta, Florida. Thank you for listening today. Thank you for listening to the Business in Paradise Palm Beach podcast with Kerry Stamp, founder of Kerry Stamp and Company Principled Wealth Advisors. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of the Commonwealth Financial Network. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Carrie Stamp & Company is located at 110 Bridge Road, Tequesta, Florida, 33469. Securities and advisory services offered through Commonwealth Financial Network member FINRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Thank you.